And at that point, complete and utter fear takes over. I start running for the pool. I see him floating face down on the deep end, not moving. I was in a full sprint and jumped down onto our pool cover and turned him over and he was gone. At this point, I am doing full-blown CPR on my son whose eyes are open. There's nothing. The paramedics show up. I noticed a flicker of an eye. I had my head resting on his little hand and thought I felt a finger move. And I open my eyes. He's, he's very still. His eyes are closed. And I see another finger move. I start screaming immediately. Well, him hearing my voice, his eyes popped open and I'm trying to get out of the recliner so that he could see me. And I turned his head and he was still on the ventilator. He was intubated. That hand reached up and he ripped out his tube and screamed mama. And I knew at that point that my son was, was going to live. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Proper Creative. They help me with our brand content and, of course, making our swag. They're the ones that ship it out to us. That's Proper Creative, and they work with any type of business, whether you're a big corporation or a small business or even running it out of your house. They will work with you, and they will help you and relieve a ton of liability and work from your shoulders. That's Proper Creative. You can follow them on Instagram, P-R-O-P-R, or you can go to their website at P-R-O-P-R. R-O-P-R-L-L-C.com. Let Proper Creative help you build your brand and sell direct to consumer, regardless of the size of your business. Proper Creative is definitely a good choice. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I am your host, Matt Rogers. With me, as always, sidekick, engineer, co-EP, the one and only Eli Adelman. Yes, sir. Life's good. You just got done doing a beauty pageant. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It was last weekend. How was it? It was good. Did I win? Uh, He came in dead last. (laughs) (laughs) I came in dead last. Dead last. So what do you, like a beauty pageant? Like was Mario Lopez there? Is like a young Trump there? Like what beauty pageant are we talking about? No, this was a pretty small one down in Orlando, Florida. I think there's like 48 contestants total. So Really? Everywhere from five, six years old up to, I don't know. Something freaks me out about five and six year olds that wear way too much makeup. It's like my daughter's getting into gymnastics and stuff, and the dancing is cool, but like, like little girls that like pack on the makeup and look like they're forty five or Tammy Faye Baker from back in the day. Right? Yeah, it's not my thing. It's uh, it's always interesting, and then it's always like, so I like, and I'm not gonna say I DJ it, but I play songs. DJ Adelman. Yeah, yeah, and so sometimes like they'll like someone will be like, oh, I want to play this song during like their you know casual wear and then it's just like a dirty song and there's like six-year-olds on them I'm like all right come on guys that's it we're <laughs> so, not gonna have r kelly playing when the six-year-old walks out on stage not inappropriate good, not good taste so yeah man but it's good like so you do this for them pageants you're with yeah. the cowboy cheerleaders a year ago yeah man 
doing all kinds of things. You're making it happen. Leveling up. So your company that we hire, it's called Ten Bears Studio. Studio. Yep. You are the best at yep. what you do. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. People listen all the time. Our podcast is growing exponentially month over month, week over week. We've been very blessed. Yeah. Um, people can use you. Yeah, man. They really can. Yeah. You're available because Eli and I, we only work together once, maybe twice a week. And he's a freelancer. Yep. So I did want to throw that out there because I know that you, I mean, and you're willing to work with people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can definitely reach out and we'll make it happen. So what do you do? You do the podcast. He sets up all the cameras. These are his microphones, sound. This is all of your equipment. Yep. What can you do for people? Oh, man. I mean, behind the scenes, highlight reels, documentary style, you know. He's helping me a lot with my social media, not in terms of like, He's 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 helping me in terms of the videos, right. making me look good, yep. making my hair really sparkle. Creating content, man, that is some sparkly hair you got there. Yes, no, but I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, you're the best. Well, if you're good fun. enough for Cowboys cheerleaders and six year olds that listen to R. Kelly, you're good <laughs> enough for our listeners. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Speaking of our listeners, this today is going to be such a good guest because I really pray that God brings us the gold in people so we've had uh dove winners grammy winners gold medalists super bowl champions we've had some phenomenal guests if i were to title today's show without even going into it yet i would title it something along the lines of either the unsung heroes or the gold next door why you ask eli why because i was blessed with this golden nugget six years ago when we moved to Tennessee. And for those of you listening, you don't need to know a Super Bowl champion. You don't need to know an Olympic gold medalist because somebody just as good, if not greater, is your neighbor next door. And with that being said, my neighbor is here with an amazing story that's going to inspire millions of people for real. The one and only Miss Dawn Perone. <laughs> yeah. Why am I the only one clapping? I'm sorry, man. I'm switching over here. Look at her. She's fantastic. Great. I love you, Miss Dawn. We love you, Miss Mr. Matt. <laughs> she so her name is Dawn Perone. She's from New York, Long Island. And Sammy calls her because Sam can't talk, you know, the way adults talk yet. Yeah. She calls her Miss John. Nice. So please welcome Miss John. <laughs> Thank <awesome>. you. <laughs> I love that name, actually. It's I, better than my own. I love you. We met by total accident. And, you know, and a lot of people say, like, oh, it was a total God thing that I did this or I met this person. Like, undoubtedly, a God thing that we met you. We first moved here. And coming from California, my sons actually didn't have a ton of neighborhood friends and stuff. They didn't, like, we lived in a neighborhood where it was basically, you know, 75-year-old Asians and 55-year-old Persians. And we were like the only young white family. There was no kids. So my kids didn't have friends that really went outside and played. So when we moved here, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Everyone here is like 40 years or younger, and they all have kids. Go play. So I literally kicked Mooch out of the house, Mason, my middle son, and like two or three hours went by. And like my stomach dropped. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I haven't found Mason. I'm driving around the neighborhood whistling. I called the cops. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, like, yeah. it he's was. Not, he's not kidding about yeah. that. It was before the moment you cry. Yeah. And either I'm going to cry because my son has officially gone missing. Right. 
or I'm going to cry because I find him. And the part that broke me is when I showed the cop what he looked like, I showed him a picture from when he was fishing at the creek yeah. a day ago. And I looked at the picture and it was like, and he goes, all right, we have a missing child, blue shirt, last scene where, and we started reading all the stats. I freaking lost Bro. it. I lost That's rough. the mooch, but the whole time we didn't know each other yet, but he was inside of Miss Don's house. And That's what awesome. happened, Miss Don? I actually had a girlfriend over for a pool day, and I was not aware that Mason was actually in the house, but he was in the house with my sons and my husband. Didn't even know who Mason was. Didn't even know who Mason was. (laughs) Uh, My girlfriend leaves, and uh, I thought she forgot her towel, and my doorbell rings, and there is this huge police officer standing at my front door. Um, asking me if I know who this child is. <laughs> and oh at that point, I didn't even know this. <laughs> I'm completely frantic. Did you know it was him? I had seen Mason once, but I had no idea that he was up in, in my child's room. <laughs> no way. So Mark comes to the door and says, um, yeah, we, we, we know this kid. He's, he's upstairs playing. <laughs> And I wanted to just fall down to the ground and just cry. And uh, we had the police officer come in and we called Mason downstairs, who was happy and safe and having the time of his life. And um, yeah, so we were the glorified kidnappers basically for the day. So good. It's so awesome. And so I'm driving up and down the street, literally praying, like, God please find my son. Like it was scary because in those moments I didn't have the vision of him playing happily upstairs with some great kids. I had the vision of creepy old man in the right. field saying, Hey son, you want to throw a football? And right. then he vanishes. Oh, exactly. And I think it was, dude, I saw, honest to God, I think this was like a week after I watched the shack. Oh no. I know. <laughs> seriously. And I'm like, this, this is terrible. And I'm freaking out. Yeah. And as I'm driving down like the main street where we live, <laughs> He comes darting out of the front door of this house into like the sidewalk right where I'm driving. I go, Mason. And he looks at me and he was like kind of scared because he thought he was in trouble. And like I run to him and I pick him up and I start holding him like I'm crying. Yeah. And there's like a hundred people that we hadn't even met in the neighborhood outside and they all start clapping. (laughs) Like, yay, you found him. And I felt like an idiot. And then later that night, we get about an hour later, we get a ring on the doorbell and it's this beautiful angel right here. It was apologizing, apologizing. I'm like, it's not your fault. (laughs) Listen, if your kid is ever going to be kidnapped, let it be me and my family. Amen. Amen. um, That was, uh, it was tragic for me. I I cannot imagine my child um, gone missing for that many hours and me out looking and not knowing and not knowing the area. Uh, But Terry was very sweet to me. Uh, she was baking cookies, actually, <laughs> and uh, I could not say sorry enough. And so great, it just was crazy. But yes, that was our first meeting. You were sunbathing. Terry was baking cookies, and I was putting together a new trampoline. And our son had gone missing. Man, but after that, obviously, instant connection. Miss Don, I call you Miss Don now, but Don, you are one of those people who. Instant connection. I feel like when I'm around you, 
I feel like you're my sister. I feel like you're my mom. I feel like you're my wife's best friend. I like, I feel safe around you. You're a nurse. You're a mom of three. You're a wife. You've been married a long time. You're from the East coast. And now we live in middle Tennessee together. The more that I've gotten to know you, to know you, your story is amazing. And right here for you listeners, turn the volume up because not only is Miss Dawn one of our frontline workers, a nurse, she's the one I call when my kids have a cough, when I have a headache. Oh my gosh, am I going to die? Like instead of Googling WebMD, I just call Miss Dawn. I have this rash on my neck. Is it leprosy? Am I going to die? So, but you're so much more than that. I mean, out of three kids, you lost one of your kids. Nikki, your middle son, mm-hmm. literally died. He drowned. We're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Came back to life unbelievable you've lost over a hundred pounds unbelievable like the more i got to know you i'm like this woman's story needs to be told because this whole process is going to inspire so many people you have lost um can i say you've had over five miscarriages eight children five miscarriages two sets of twins wow so you know this is going to go in a direction that you want to hear because you look at her today and she's awesome, she's beautiful, you know, and I think you're going to inspire a lot of people. So let's go. Okay. Tell me how you grew up, where you grew up. One of my favorite things to do is impersonate your accent and you never <laughs> get mad at me. Nope. So I'm going to keep doing it. You're from Long Island. Long Island. Tell me how you grew up. What was the young Miss Dawn like? Well, I actually was born in Florida, in Clearwater Beach. Um, My parents went to that area, fell in love with it, had some friends that also moved there. Um, I lived there for uh, the first four years of my life. My mom was homesick. Um, We came back to Long Island. Um, We lived with my grandparents for a while, which was a treat. Um, Italian descent. You know, did the Sunday family uh, gravy with the meatballs and then the sandwiches at night. Um, But this isn't like normal white people gravy, like biscuits and gravy. What's gravy? this This is sauce. We call it, some people, some Italian people call it gravy. Some call it sauce. But um, it is a tradition that I still hold every Sunday, you know, um, that, you know, the sauce is up and moving and grooving at 830. We've got meatballs by 930 (laughs) and sausage by 1030. Um, And then everybody is kind of grazing the pot with their Italian bread and it becomes uh, a festival. But um I like to try to keep some of those old Italian traditions. Oh, yeah. Dinner is important. Family together, discussing the day. What challenges did we have? What did we learn? Mm-hmm. And um, what difference did we make in someone's life that day? So did your parents do that? Because I know you do that with your kids, which, by mm-hmm. the way, all three of them are highly intelligent. Did your parents do that with you? Yes. Or did you take what you did as a kid and, you know, kind of make it bigger? Um, no, my dad worked a lot. My dad was a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have a whole lot growing up. Um, my dad was blessed to meet an eye doctor that gave him the gift of 
allowing him to build a house, which allowed them to buy their first house Mm -hmm. when they were in their 40s. Um, But up until that point, we, you know, we lived in rental properties. We lived in apartments. Um, I didn't have my own room until I was 16. Wow. My brother and I shared a bedroom. And when I wasn't with my brother, it was with my aunt, um, who was like my big sister, because they're uh, 17 years apart. My mom and and her youngest sister, she was like my big sis. That's cool. She moved in with us when I was little. Did you like that or do you wish you had your own privacy? No, I absolutely loved having her uh, live with me. She's a nurse. And, um, you know, I looked up to her like a big sister. She is seven years older than me. Um, she's an amazing mom herself. She lives in Florida. <laughs> and uh, I would always wake up in the middle of the night when she would come home with her friends and I'd have to listen to see what kind of trouble and mischief yes. they had gotten into or what happened during the night uh, at the nursing home where she worked. So, so you listen to those stories and like they fascinated you. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And are you and her tight now? Cause now you're a nurse. Do you exchange war stories and stuff now? She's retired. She doesn't practice as a nurse. Um, but she hears my war stories and, um, I'm, I'm proud to say that I have the, um, the best possible career. I do not regret being a nurse, even in the middle of a public health emergency. Unbelievable. Um, it's God's work that I get to do every day. And the greatest blessings are my patients and the staff that I um, get to work with every single day. You're the best. When, you know, last year when all this was really, really, really bad, and we thought if we brought a package in from our house or touched a gas pump, we were going to get COVID and die. That's when we were all freaked out. Terry and I actually got COVID at the beginning of this year and Miss Dawn was our first phone call and you laid out the plan for us that they were basically, you know, running the hospital, all all these vitamins. So we ran the plan and thank God we had mild symptoms and you're just, you've always been our go-to. We love you. And one of my favorite things now is Christmas Eve. I love going to Miss Dawn's house because now living in Tennessee, we don't share it with, you know, we don't have... Christmas with family, like we used to on Christmas Eve. And that's fine because we get to have it with the Perones. Great company, filled with laughs. The kids can stay up. They play games. It's just easy. And on top of that, oh, my gosh, she brings Italy to Spring Hill, Tennessee, and makes unbelievable chicken parmesan, gravy, a.k.a. sauce, meatballs. Now her husband, Mr. Mark, has this unbelievable, like, 50,000 pound brick oven pizza. <laughs> oven. It's unbelievable. It's he unbelievable. Does. So we're going over there for lunch. Or? <laughs> uh, I get it. I get it. Definitely once a year on Christmas Eve, sometimes special case. She has a party or something. I'll get it twice. So good. But oh, more than that. <laughs> it is from Italy. It's unbelievable. Yeah, That's awesome. it is very unbelievable. And so your husband, Mark, he's just, I love Mark. I love your family, my kids and your kids. They've been friends. They're our first friends. Ever since we moved here, if anything, that bond has become more strong, more comfortable. Tell me about like you and Mark, you get married, you meet him, because I want to start going down the journey of you having kids because it wasn't easy by any means. It was not. 
Um, Mark and I met actually um, in a popular bar restaurant the night before Thanksgiving. Um, the funny thing is, neither one of us was supposed to be there. Uh, he had just gotten off of a plane from Jamaica. He had gone to Jamaica wow. uh, with his friends um, and had got home earlier that night. And I was baking uh, apple pies with my mom and giving haircuts. And I, I'm not a hairdresser, but I am the jack of all trades. And uh, I was cutting my dad's hair and my brother's hair. And about seven of my girlfriends showed up at my house at 930 that night and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm baking apple pies and giving haircuts. It's Thanksgiving tomorrow. They're like, yeah, and everyone's home. Right. We've got to go to Port Jeff. That was yes. That was where everybody would go. The night before Thanksgiving is the biggest party night when you're a teenager in early 20s. It is. And all of our friends were home from college. Yep. So I quickly changed and uh, we drove down. It was like a 15-minute drive down to the water. And um, it was like standing room only. I mean, you could not see any one particular figure because we were like one big blob. Um, it was like being at at a mash fest where you were just all over people unintentionally. Yeah. And um, this uh, rather good looking guy. As he's trying to get past me, spilled a beer. Oh, Mark! All over my shoulder, and I had a sweater on. Oh, that's a blow it. Yeah, but it, it worked. Yeah, that, <laughs> what happened? It started a conversation. Well, it sure did start a conversation. Maybe one that he didn't want to have. I wasn't too happy about the beer uh, being uh, immersed in my sweater. Yeah, you don't strike me as a person that's shy about saying what's on their mind. No, no. We're, we're not going to say on this podcast actually what I did say to him, um, but it did have some expletives. Give me the PG version. The the PG version? What the were you thinking? Are you kidding me? I did. did he, was he like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He was extremely apologetic and was dabbing my sweater on my shoulder and elsewhere. And I'm thinking this guy just is, he's lost his mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was, that was actually the, the first um, mingle. The second one came about an hour later when he stepped on my foot. Wow. He's real smooth. huh? He, very smooth. <laughs> very smooth. And he did tell me that one was intentional oh, it was uh, to intentional. get my attention. If I can't get your attention by spilling this beer on you when you smell like fresh apple pie, yeah. I'm going to step on your feet. With my big giant Capizio Italian shoes. So the first time it's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? I got wet beer all over me. And the second time is, oh my gosh, my toe freaking hurts. What are you doing? Exactly. Exactly. And then, but, he, but he was with guys and I was with girls and we all just kind of started talking and dancing and... um. We ended up closing the bar at 4.30. Uh, he, his friends walked me and my friends to our cars. And um, he asked me for my phone number. And I said, no. <gasps> and down. he said, what do you mean, no? I said, I don't give anybody my phone number that I've just met. And he said, are you, are you kidding? I said, yeah. I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so my girlfriend whispered in my ear, 
if you don't give him your phone number, I'm giving him mine. Oh, snap. Yeah, that's how they that's girl, how they are. A good operate. friend or a bad friend? Well, is it, honestly, is it di- was it different on the East Coast? Like, because you, yeah, East it Co- is like I've you know I grew up watching like Jersey Shore, and I've always been a West Coast guy. You know, watching movies like I've always kind of been infatuated with people from mm-hmm. the East Coast, which is why when I met you guys, I'm like, dude, it's so cool. They're from New York. You know what I mean? Like, you guys are fast moving, trash talking, don't hold anything back. Hey, you got something on your face, stupid? Wipe it off. Like we're like, oh my gosh, like we'll talk about people behind their back. You see John's <laughs> not that brazen, not not the typical New Yorker, but you need to understand. I grew up in a strict Italian Catholic family, was not allowed to date until I was 16. Mm-hmm. And on my 16th birthday, I did have a boyfriend. I sure did. Wow. And I did invite him to my birthday party. Um, and it was somebody that my my family actually knew. Um, he actually came from a wonderful family. So, um, you know, things were just different back then. Um, so in listening to my best friend whisper in my ear, if you don't give him your number, I will. My next thing was I looked in my purse and I didn't have a piece of paper, which is a true story. Uh-huh. And uh, Mark said, well, don't worry about that. And he whipped out his wallet and he took a dollar bill. And he ripped it in half and whipped out a pen and handed it to me and said, um, I would really like to see you again. But it was with sincerity this time. It wasn't yeah. just, can I have your phone number? And um, I did give it to him. And Mark still has his half. No, I was just going to ask that. It would be so cool if he saved it. Now, the funny thing is, Mark is not organized. Right. Hot mess. I kind of keep him straight (laughs) and organized. But because of my pocketbook fetishes and wallets, I have lost my half of my dollar bill somehow, some way in the past 30 years. But he still has his and still carries his in his wallet. That guy really loves you. He does. I know he does. He I does. see the way he looked like the way he is with you. I kind of feel like I am with Terry. Like he's giddy around you. He flirts with you. He still like mm-hmm. touches you. It makes, you know, those little, you know, those little, you know, silent, you know, kind of like sexy comments like, oh, well, wait till the kids go to bed tonight. And oh, you guys have yes. been married for how many years? 27. 27. 27 years, 30 years together. So, you know, he spills a beer on you, he gets your number, really mm-hmm. endearing, cute, sweet. Mm-hmm. Now you're married 27 years. Mm-hmm. Does it get better? Does it get lost? Like, how come you guys have been so strong? Because we're going to get into the fact trying to have kids, not being able to, having kids, losing a kid. And getting them back. And getting them back. Mm-hmm. So now being married 27 years, being through all that, is it better? Is it stronger? Is it different? What's it like? It's both. It's it's all three things. Um, you know, the kids are growing up. Cass is the oldest. She's a pre-med student. Cassandra Perone yes. is our angel. My mini-me. We love her. She is the oldest daughter. She is our nanny. She is our go-to. Like, I feel like she's mine, too. She's awesome. awesome. Well, all three of my children could be your children, essentially, and vice versa. Um, She is in Murfreesboro five days a week in an apartment. Mm 
um, going to school full time, would like to become a forensic pathologist for the TBI. That sounds really smart. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> she she would like to be Dr. G. She okay. would like to be um, that forensic pathologist that basically gives a voice to the dead. That's what Cass would like to do. She would like to give closure to the families that have lost loved ones, Holy either smokes. by tragedy or by an unknown disease process where they suddenly pass mm -hmm. and they don't know why. Um, she's a genius in the lab. Um, she's my glorified hemp grower. Never imagine I she would ever say hemp? that for MTSU. She does, but uh, wow. not with the THC in it. Um, but there is a company that pays the university um, for the plants that she is cloning and growing um, for their lotions and their CBD and all of that good stuff. Yeah, so CBD she's amazing. Oils the bomb. Yes, she's amazing. So back to the marriage, you have her and you have Nikki, your middle yes. son, and Marky. Back to your marriage. So it's it's different. It's all three. It's it's all three because they're growing up. So. Mark and I are home alone for the first time on Friday and Saturday nights. Um, and that's different for us because the kids are working. Mm -hmm. So um, I think what works for us is that we were friends first. That's big. Yes. Because I have so many friends and you know people that I know now that when they get, and they've only been married maybe 10 years, 12 years, when they get alone time, they don't know what to do with each other. Right. They come home early from dates. They... They don't go anywhere. They don't date each other. Mm -hmm. And that's just so important. It's so missing. Like you were friends first. Like you friends genuinely first. enjoy each other's company. You yes. still laugh at him. I think that's I so do. important. I do. And he and, laughs and, at you. And a he does. Lot. Oh, he he calls me his little princess, his, you know, his firecracker. <laughs> I am his firecracker for sure. Yes, you are. Um, he's a lot more predictable than I am. And I think that part of that has to do with the fact that I almost feel I'm living my life for the first time in the last couple of years, doing things out of my comfort zone um, that I've never really been able to do before. And um, that's different for me. It's different uh, for him. Like when he hears, uh, you know, when we vacation and we love to cruise, um, let's go snorkel in that volcano. And he's like, what? <laughs> um, or let's go um, jump into the ocean uh, filled with stingrays. You know, my dad and him had made a bet mm -hmm. when we were in the Grand Cayman Islands. We were on a boat with about 100 other people and we were going to Stingray City which um, basically is an area where the stingrays congregate and you get to go in the water and kind of hold them, obviously avoid the stinger. Um, and my dad said to Mark, he said, uh, she's never going to get off this boat. <laughs> and uh, my husband wagered against me a hundred <laughs> bucks that um, I would get off the boat. And I'm thinking, wow, Perone, throw me like literally right off the boat. I'm thinking that hundred bucks, I was planning on buying some drinks. <laughs> so um, as soon as it's, it came to a stop and they threw the anchor, 
I looked at my dad and said, uh, Daddy, try not to have a heart attack and do not come after me. I got this. <laughs> and I dove off of that catamaran uh, headfirst into a ocean full of stingrays. And the captain actually jumped in after me. Really? Thinking I would not be okay. Uh, I mean, I was fine. Um, but yeah, we still talk about that today. Do not, do not bet against me. Do not bet against Miss Dawn. No, because I am super competitive. I will take you out. Well, you and because you've, I mean, look at you've seen things in life that would, you know, crumble most people. Yes. Let's get into that with with your kids. You and Mark decided to have a family. Mm-hmm. You know, we have three kids now, but it didn't start great, right? No. What happened? We. Um, we did what we were brought up to do. We go to school, we go to college, we have a stable job, we find love, we get married, we buy a home, and then we look to have a family. Uh, Mark was 23, I was 24 when we got married. Mm-hmm. We bought our first house, um, 13 houses from where I lived. That's all. That's all. Uh, so that I could be close to my parents. And it was a neighborhood that I loved. Um, we bought a fixer-upper. And uh, we started to rip it apart and fix it the way we wanted it fixed. And uh, a year and a half later, I said, okay, we've got this big house. <clears throat> it was a 3,000-square-foot house that we owned at 25 years old. We were paying my dad to fix it up. He was... My dad always had gold in his hands. He could uh, take anything and make it beautiful. And uh, we started trying to have a family. And for the first two years, nothing. So I decided to um, pursue infertility testing with um, Gus, who was my OBGYN. Um. You know, Gus and I became very tight over the years with Mark. Uh, He sent me to his brother, Gabriel, who was the infertility specialist. And we found out that I did not manufacture pretty much any hormones. I didn't have estrogen. I didn't have progesterone. It was coming from all the wrong places. So they started... um, me with having to take some of those hormones. First of all, like just stopping right there as a Mm -hmm. woman, finding out that your body's not producing what it's supposed to, Mm -hmm. does that do anything to your psyche? Does it make you feel like less of a woman? Does it make you feel inadequate? Any of that? Cause that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Does that happen? Well, I was shocked to be honest. Um, You know, I, I do believe now that I probably had, PCOS because I did have cysts on my ovaries. I did have them rupturing from time to time, which causes incredible pain. What's PCOS? Um, Polycystic ovarian syndrome. And um, it's a disease that is actually quite commonly associated with obesity. Wow. Where you tend to accumulate body fat in the abdomen. Were you bigger back then? Um, after I started the therapies, I was, when I graduated high school, I was 150 pounds, but struggled with my weight my entire life. Because why? Because I mean, most people like, I like food. I'm not the poster child for health. I mean, I could definitely lose 40 pounds. I don't consider myself obese, but the reason I don't lose 40 pounds is because 
I'm really happy and I really love food. I don't have like a child trauma or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound like you did either. Like, cause you know, some people gravitate towards food cause it's their comfort cause they had their trauma, whatever. That's what happened to me later with the hormones, with the losses. Um, I always, my, most of my family is obese. Um, and many of us have pursued weight loss surgery, which is a journey that I decided, uh, at, 49, that I was going to give myself the best 50th birthday bash. (laughs) And that was a new lease on life. And that was weight loss surgery. I knew that it would just be a tool and it's not a, a miracle maker. You have to follow the plan. But if you follow the plan, it is a tool that will work. And I'm, I'm living proof that it, the tool does work. How much weight have you lost? In total, from my heaviest, after I gave birth to Mark Anthony, um, 160 pounds. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. So if you A were, person. So if you were 150 when you graduated high school, mm-hmm. you lost 160. Mm-hmm. You must have been well over 300 pounds. I was. I was. Um, you know, when the nurse came in, when I was, um, at coming to the hospital, cause I was preeclamptic at that time, blood pressure is really high. And, um, Marky was going to be three and a half weeks early. You know, the nurse says right in front of your spouse. So how much do you weigh? And I kind of looked at her like, Jesus, don't, don't, don't ever <laughs> ask a woman how much she weighs, especially when she's nine months pregnant and as big as a house. So, um, I told her, just put down two something. And she did. She actually wrote the number two and then something. (laughs) And of course, I had lied about that. So when Gus, my OBGYN at the time, came in, he said, I love the weight, (laughs) two something. (laughs) So um, I said, Gus, you got to have a better plan about that. You know, we we don't ask that in front of the hubbies. The hubbies don't need to know how much we weigh. So, so going back to trying for kids, mm-hmm. you get on infertility. I did. And what happens? Um, I had actually had to take some hormone replacement for about three months. And then I started a medication called Clomid, uh, which really stimulates the um, ovaries to uh, produce an egg, which was the other problem. I wasn't producing anything. And then when I did produce them, they were coming in the form of all of these tiny little cysts that shouldn't be. Um, So after being on Clomid for three months, I did conceive. And unfortunately, I lost that baby. And at how many many months? Uh, Just about two months. Had a miscarriage. You knew you were pregnant or was it? Okay. Yes. What was that like? Terrifying. Um, sad, extremely sad, heartbroken, thinking, how could this be? I did everything right. Um, but having faith and knowing that Mark was fine, it wasn't Mark at all. It was me, you know, not producing, not ovulating, not having the right hormones. Um, you know, he said, let's let your body rest for a few months and then you can try again. And I did. And I got pregnant the first month on Clomid. And I was completely terrified. 
that I was going to have a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. I was on progesterone replacement twice a day, or I had to go home and actually um, take the medicine and lie down for 30 minutes and then get up and then I could resume my day. Um, I didn't want to tell anybody until I was out of the woods being about 13, 14 weeks because I was terrified it was going to happen again. And um, with the grace of God, I was able to hold on to her. Uh, but at 27 weeks, she decided that she wanted to come early. And that put me on bed rest um, with me doing terbutaline injections into my thighs. I had a monitor that I would go on with Jeez. the contractions every day. And it would Wi-Fi to my OBGYN so that he could monitor me. Um, and then as time progressed and I started to dilate, now I'm at risk for infection mm -hmm. um, of her coming super early. Um, I was in his doctor's office Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Hence, he bought a new boat and he refurnished his entire building. And I told him I wanted a plaque with my name on it uh, that said, uh, donated by the Perone baby. <laughs> oh, my God. So um, quite so comical. 27 weeks she's coming. That's not normal, right? No. No, it wasn't normal at Did that all. that freak you out, obviously? Obviously, I was completely um, terrorized. But the one thing that I will say is the company that I worked for um, allowed me to work from home from my recliner. So Mark had um, a little college fridge next to my recliner with drinks and food in it mm -hmm. so that I only needed to get up to use the potty. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, we had a landscaping company um, and all of my uh, landscapers' wives uh, would come over and check on me during the day cool. and clean the house. They couldn't communicate with me because they spoke Spanish. <laughs> right. But uh, after a while, we kind of figured things out. And um, Cassie actually came um, at 37 weeks. Wow. I was able to hold her for 10 more weeks, but the preeclampsia got so bad uh, that my blood pressures and uh, I had Fred Flintstone feet. Literally, oh my, my gosh. feet, I, I could not wear shoes. I mean, I was literally barefoot um, that he said she needs to come today and um, ended up on magnesium drips. And uh, she came in fast and furious in about seven hours Jeez. of some Pitocin being put up. And I mean, I was already dilated, so I just needed a little bit of a push and she came in and she was eight pounds, 15 ounces for my first. And she's three weeks early. And she's three weeks early. And yeah. so you go on with life. Everything's good. Are you planning on having another? Absolutely. Baby? Absolutely. And what happens? Um, we decided about when Cass was about 18 months old to uh, pursue uh, the Clomid again. And um, everybody was on board. I was a little heavier at that point. Um, to something. To something. <laughs> lower to something. And, um, you know, I had done really well with Cassandra, not gaining a whole lot of weight. Only think I gained about 25 pounds with her. <clears throat> and um, did the Clomid and found out that I was expecting 
and um, was really, really excited about the fact that I was having another child, had done it once and said it was pretty easy once I got over the fear that I was going to lose her. And uh, 4th of July morning, about 4.30, um, I woke up and felt like somebody had stabbed me. Oh, jeez. Um, turned on the light and pulled the covers back and was literally looking for a knife. And uh, woke up Mark and said, um, something's wrong. And he said, you're okay. You've just had a nightmare. And I said, no. I said, something's wrong. I I don't feel right. Something's wrong with the baby. But I wasn't bleeding. But I did call my OB and said, woke him up. He, he took the call and said, um... I think I've got an ectopic. What is that? Where you have um, one of the embryos get stuck in the fallopian tube and it ruptures and now you're bleeding internally. Very dangerous. Can be very life-threatening. For both you and the child, right? Yes. Yes. But we knew that I had a child in my uterus because we had seen that child. So... um, I went, uh, ran downstairs, um, but really did not feel well and felt like the life was being sucked out of me. And the hospital was only about 12 minutes from our home, but I knew going that my blood pressure was dropping. I knew that I was bleeding internally. And I actually said goodbye to him before I was unconscious in the front seat of the car. Now, when you say him, did you know it was a boy? No, Mark. I said goodbye to my husband in the car (gasps) because I knew that I had probably lost too much blood and that I was probably not going to make it. So when he pulled up to the emergency room. Oh, yes, yes. He, um, He was crying. He pulled up to the emergency room with the horn blaring uh, to St. Charles. And, um, you know, they came out. I was already unconscious. My doctor was already there. And they basically ran me through the ER uh, into the OR. And I had already bled out six units of blood into my belly. And um, the nurse came out and told Mark, we're not really sure what is going to happen, but you need to get her family. You need to call them. They need to come. And um, with God's help, I pulled through. How? I refused to take blood. That was the other thing. Um, I... uh, have a negative blood, um, did a lot of research on HIV. You know, it was very prevalent around that time. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to take it. So they were giving me um, plasma and fluids. And eventually I had to give in and take the take the blood. But the only person that could have donated it to me was my grandfather. And he had kidney cancer. So that so wouldn't they, work? they wouldn't let him donate to me. So it extended my stay at the hospital. 
Um, but um, I ended up losing both babies. I lost the baby in the fallopian tube, of course, and I lost the baby that I was carrying in my uterus. It was too much shock and trauma. And my vital signs were, you know, this deplorable. Is gonna, this is going to sound terrible, but I don't know any other way to ask it. Mm-hmm. Is it worse losing the baby the first time or losing the second time? Um, knowing that I had twins that I lost, um, I that was time. The second time was yes, twins. Twins. Yeah. That this time that I nearly didn't make it was twins. Um, the sad part for me was I ended up with a full section cut because mm-hmm. he had to just zip me open to stop the bleeding. Um, knowing that I had lost two babies, not just one. Um, I cried for a week straight. Mark had to be home with me because I was all stitched up. Mm-hmm. I had a C-section cut, but no babies. He couldn't even be in the house with me. He started digging a hole in the backyard. My mom kept on asking, what is he doing out there? And I said, well, hopefully he's not going to try to put me in it because I won't <laughs> stop crying. Um, but he he actually decided to make a pond. And the pond was to signify the twins that we lost, that wow. we would put life in the pond. How do you think that affected him losing? I mean, going through that, oh, walk, he, saying goodbye could, to your he, wife. He couldn't He couldn't even be in the house with me in the first few days. Because he why? Let, Because it was so painful for him to see me so heartbroken and so devastated. Um, you know, I have always been the strong one. And to see me yeah. broken like that broke him. It's so sad. I mean, it's pitiful. Because I know him now and I know how much he loves you and that. And he's a big teddy bear. I mean, yeah. he's a big guy. Nothing hurts him. He's only cried maybe three times in his life. And, you know, losing Nicholas that day. And, and him coming back was one. The birth of Cassandra was the second. Mm-hmm. And probably me in the car. So let's talk. You say losing Nicholas. Nicholas is your second son who is alive and well today. He is. And amazing. A Brilliant. Freaking love Nikki. Mm-hmm. He's going to be like a rocket scientist or something. Very, very special. Yes. Um, he... Okay, so you lose the twins. So you've lost a baby. Cassandra's born. You lose twins. Mm -hmm. Do you lose another child before Nicholas? I lose another set of twins. The fact that you actually got back after it, after, you know, Cassie's wasn't the smoothest. You lost one before. You lose twins. And then you do it again? Yes. This time we know in advance that I was so filled with scar tissue that the um, I had one in each fallopian tube, which is the craziest thing. Um, and they would never be viable, but we found them at seven weeks. And at that point, um, I personally um, do not believe in abortions unless they are for very specific reasons, mm-hmm. like a tragic rape, yeah. something along those lines. 
Um, so I did not want to terminate my pregnancy. So here came the uh, moral and ethical problem. He said to me, point blank, if we don't do something, you're going to die. And Cassandra has no mother. Jeez. And uh, I opted to take a uh, medication called methotrexate, which terminated my pregnancy on both sides. But knowing that I did that to them, it, it still bothers me today. But I know that if I didn't do that, I probably would have bled to death if I ruptured and it was just a matter of time before that was going to happen. So ectopic pregnancies are challenging from a physiological standpoint. Um, they don't have stents. So what ended up happening was we found out that I didn't have enough cilia hair to sweep the eggs along. It's funny because I've got more hair than most people. <laughs> right? um, and I always have, um, but lacked cilia hair to sweep the egg, to sweep that egg into the, into the uterus so that it can then embed itself and you then have a normal progression of a pregnancy. Um, so at that point, um, my tubes were blocked. I had lost the one tube. There was just a tiny little piece of a tube. It really was an ovary just attached to the, the uterus. He really mm. didn't even think there was much of anything for an embryo to even be stuck in there, but there was. And, um, at that point I had to pursue in vitro fertilization or my journey for children ended. So, after you have to make the decision to lose the second set of twins, mm -hmm. you continue to keep going and pursuing. Yes. Real quick, because I've, I have had friends that have been in similar situations like that where they don't believe in abortion either, but they have to make that decision. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? Because I know that there's guilt attached to that, maybe regret attached to that. Mm -hmm. Does that ever go away? How do you get through that? Do you, justify it to where it's like, you know, Hey, like, I know God's not going to hold this against me because God wants me to live. And like, what do you say? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just talking out loud. Well, the interesting thing, Matt, that ended up happening because that question did come around again, but it came back in a hauntingly terrible form I did pursue the uh, in vitro fertilization. We actually ended up taking a mortgage, a second mortgage on our house. Uh, it was like going to the racetrack. And I'm not a gambling woman. I don't gamble. Um, you know, it was putting 33000 on a horse. Every time I had that procedure, it was 33000 Unbelievable. So I had And this isn't insurance money. This is your this money. This is my money. Home equity money. Home equity money that uh, we took, and and a lot of infertility families have to pursue. Um, so I knew going into it that I would be putting my my husband and I in debt, putting our family in debt. Um, but I didn't want Cassandra to be an only child. I um, wow. with the babies that I felt were taken from us. I felt that I knew I could do 
one more. I begged and pleaded with God every day. What does that look like? You're by yourself and you're literally talking to him. Give me mm-hmm. all the time. Um, slept with, um, I had a, um, a Catholic bib, uh, that I had gone to, um, see my priest about it at, um, St. Francis Cabrini. And he gave me this cloth, which he had blessed on my behalf. And I would sleep with it on my womb at night. I'm I'm not kidding. I know. Because I I wanted to be as close to him and 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 to protect my womb that I slept with this cloth that had been blessed. It was to me it was the holiest thing that I could do. I would do anything to hold on to my child. And then I became uh pregnant again through in vitro fertilization that we decided to put two eggs in. One we lost right away and one took. And um, I ended up getting through my first trimester Mm -hmm. and we found Mm -hmm. out that I was having a girl and we named her Samantha, little Sam. And I go in for a checkup uh, before my mom's birthday and um, I find out that Sam is not growing. And I said, do the measurements again. That's impossible. I'm eating. My belly is growing. She's okay. And they repeat the measurements. And now my OB comes in and he says, she has not made any growth in the past three weeks. So now the testing starts and they figure out that I have a blood clot in the umbilical cord, which is preventing her from getting the nutrients that she needs. So is this because of everything you've been through or are these all different one-offs? Well, because they all sound different. They are, they are different. Um, we found out that, um, we we assume what has happened is being that I'm a negative, I didn't get Rogam on my prior miscarriage because I miscarried so early. They didn't think I needed it. What's Rogam? It's a it's a medication that they give the mom so that you your blood antibodies don't attack the babies. And they think that um I had actually built up some antibodies, which then formed a blood clot in the placenta, in the umbilical cord, and deprived her of the nutrients she needed. So So now you lose Sam. I, um, at that point, I was advised to um, take her, and I couldn't. I wanted to give her um, every possible chance she could in hopes that the blood clot would be absorbed, that she would start growing again, that everything would be okay. And um, that was a terrible Christmas because I knew in my heart that my baby was going to die. And I couldn't tell anyone because I didn't want to ruin their Christmas. So 
you know, they're all wanting the pictures of my latest sonogram. Oh, geez. And uh, I went back um, the following week, basically just to do a heartbeat check. Mark knew. Mark knew. I had to tell him. But the rest of my family knew I was off. I just told them that I just didn't feel good. And um, we went back and her heartbeat was slowing. No growth. Um, He basically explained to me at that point that she she was going to pass. And um, when she did, if I did not miscarry, that he would have to take her from me. So on my birthday in 2003, um, I went and they confirmed via sonogram that she had passed away sometime between the 1st and the 4th of January. And um, I went home and packed a bag. And the next day I went to the hospital where he took her from me. And um, that was devastating. That was absolutely one of the worst days of my life. Did you think, how am I going to go on from this? I mean, because this Mm -hmm. is number six? Mm -hmm. That was this, yeah, that was the sixth baby. Yeah. How did you get through that? I have an amazing family. Um, My dad and I... Listen, my dad was my first love. If anybody could look up to their dad and see him as king, it was me. My dad was kind, loving, um, always tried to provide. He was very proud. You know, um, we, we had it tough growing up. You know, there would be customers that wouldn't pay him when he finished a job. And that meant no money. That meant no food money. Um, My mom did the very best that she could to try to give us a normal childhood. But when school comes around and you're shopping in a thrift store, that's tough. Mm. That's tough. So you've been through stuff and you've had your dad to look up to and this is what you needed him the most. Yes. And my dad would just come and, and sit with me and not say anything. He'd get a glass of wine and he would just sit next to me and not say anything and just hug me. I don't know why it makes me cry, but it does. Yeah. Just cry with me um, because he knew that my heart was ripped to shreds. My mom um, used to come every night on her way home from work, but my mom's a talker. So my mom couldn't be quiet. Right. She still can't be quiet. She's <laughs> 75. Um, but that's what I love about my mom. You know, um, she she can find just about anything to talk about. Mm-hmm. And um, we lost my dad seven years ago to prostate cancer. And um, he loved all of my children beyond measure. He was not supposed to, you know, survive greater than 18 months past his diagnosis. And he lived seven and a half years and he lived for me, my brother, 
my mom and his grandbabies. And he would tell me that, you know, he'd call me at 1030 at night, my dad, you know, just to say hi, you know, what dad does that, you know, honey, I love you. And, um, just wanted to tell you that. So, um, you know, it's funny when my dad got real bad, I already lived in Tennessee Mm -hmm. and we already had, uh, the three kids. So the long and the short of that is after I lost Sammy, um, I had 33,000 left and I told, uh, Gus that we were putting four in. Oh my, we, you ain't I had messing four. around. I don't know where you get this, this tenacity. Driven, driven I mean, on a mission. And I live my life this way. Because you're everything. heartbroken and you're doubling yes. down even more on potentially yes. the next heartbreak. Yes. Which odds are in the favor of another heartbreak. Yes. And, and you do it anyway. And I... I had that money. Resilience. That money was not going to do me any good sitting in a bank account when I still hadn't had that child for Cass, for me, for Mark, for my family. And uh, I had to sign a waiver that if I got pregnant with all four and there were repercussions, that he was not responsible. I had them genetically tested. I paid extra for that to make sure that they were perfect. And I slept with that cloth. I actually took two weeks off from work, which I had never done. I tried to go back to work two weeks after Cassandra was born. It was like I hadn't had a baby. Mm-hmm. I was in full motion again. Um, I was the the crazy um, new mother at the hospital that was in her satin pajamas, walking everyone to the window, um, showing everybody my beautiful daughter. And everyone kept on saying, you need to be sitting down. You need to be in the recliner. And I said, no, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'd, I'd like to go home, uh, with my daughter. So, um, I signed the waiver. We put all four grade A babies in, And you have to wait 10 days for your blood test. I laid on a couch with my blessed cloth over my womb, protecting my babies, Mm -hmm. and went for that blood test. And uh, it's called an HCG. It it determines the, the hormone to see if you're pregnant. And my first level should be between maybe 40 and 80 and mine was 400. We knew I was pregnant with multiples. We didn't know how many. So 400's good. Oh, yeah. 400 meant I had hit a home run. Okay. My swim team was <laughs> growing. I had prayed that I'd have uh, one, two, three, or four. Didn't matter the number. If they all were going to stay, I figured this was God's way of blessing me. And I go back for my my two week sonogram to see the babies and I've only got two. And now I am in a complete panic. Because why? Because I lost two. There were four that yeah. went in. So now I'm thinking, here Oh my go God, again. here we go again. 
What, what have I not done right? What have I done wrong? How could this be happening? The two babies that were there were right next door to each other. And they did look pretty comfy. I was pretty confident that we were going to be okay. And I go back that following week and only one is left. Mm. And I found out it was a boy and it was Nicholas, my super human <laughs> Clark Kent baby. Now, how many weeks pregnant are you at this time? Uh, I am now like 10, 11 weeks. Still early. Still early. Anything so can happen. Oh, I'm still, I'm unraveling at the seams. So how was the pregnancy from that point all the way until he was born? Amazing. Good. Amazing. No hiccups. He's growing in leaps and bounds. Um, I did find out at 36 weeks that I had gestational diabetes. I was a chubby mama, so I wasn't surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, food became a comfort for me during these hard times. Um, I was grief stricken. For sure. I mean, on the outside, everything was completely normal. My house was impeccable, just like it was today. Mm-hmm. I work 60, 70 hours a week. I saw patients uh, morning, noon, and night. I saw extra patients. I ran a successful landscaping company uh, with Mark. Um, I cooked, I cleaned, I lived a good life. But on the inside, when I was alone, my insides were hurting. My heart was hurting because I was still thinking about the babies. I was still thinking about how this could happen. How could this happen? How could I have lost Sam after all that time? So meeting your family and finding out that this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girl (laughs) that looks so much like my Cassie and her calling me Miss John and and her, you know, Sam didn't go to a lot of people when she was super little. Right. She wanted mommy and daddy. Yeah. But she came to me quite easily. And um, I knew that God had put her in my path, <laughs> that maybe my Sammy was <clears throat> part of her. Because Cassie was blonde and blue eyed. <laughs> When she was little, but Sammy, I mean, obviously is all you, you know, um, but it, it was, it was tough. Uh, Nicholas ended up being four weeks early. Mm-hmm. I was preeclamptic, same scenario, had to go in and have that Pitocin. Uh, the funny part there was that he was sky high. I wasn't really all that dilated. I become fully dilated. I've got that Pitocin running. Those contractions are coming in like a hurricane. And uh, Dr. Gus is there with Mark. And he's like, you guys are going to be pushing for a while. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'll be back. And with the first push, Nicholas was basically born with Mark and I in the bed. No way. Mark starts screaming, sees Nicholas's head. 
My OB comes flying in, looks like Tom Cruise doing the slide across the floor, grabs trips, one glove. Drips coffee on your shoulder, which is poetic because Mark dripped beer exactly, on your shoulder. Got it. Exactly. And um, and Nicholas was born nine and a half pounds, 23 inches, looked like he needed a cigar and a backpack because he, this, this kid was ready to go to school. Tell me real quick, because I don't have a lot of time left with you. God, there's just so, I mean, this could be a four hour episode. Nicholas is how old? Tell me about the day that you lost Nicholas. And but when we mean lost Nicholas, we mean he's how old? Uh, Mark Anthony, we always tell everyone, buy three, get one free. That's our miracle baby. Uh, we do not know how we actually came to get Mark because I didn't have a fallopian tube on one side and the other was blocked with scar tissue. And you had a baby. I had another baby conceived totally naturally. I Nicholas was three months old and I found out I was pregnant with Mark. Unbelievable. Yes. Like, yes. like a miracle, like unbelievable. Total miracle. It actually changed the practice of the way my OB then counseled uh, infertility patients after because I was a one in a million shot. He said, you should not have been able to conceive. But the only thing that he can think of is during Nicholas's birth that it broke open the scar tissue in that fallopian tube and allowed for Mark Anthony to come naturally. Or the Holy Spirit cloth that rests upon your stomach exactly. brought openness. Exactly. I exactly. Mean, so we we're always find tell a lot, everyone. a lot of stuff when we get there that we didn't right. know. Buy three, get one free. So uh, Mark Anthony was my freebie. Uh, the light of my life, my sidekick. He looks a lot like me and he's he's always with his mama. So it was uh, Mark Anthony was 12 weeks old mm -hmm. and uh, Nicholas uh, was 14 months. Mm -hmm. Um. It's Easter Sunday in New York. It's a very warm day and unusually 2006. 2006, sorry. Uh, and um, actually, uh, it was 2005. I'm sorry. It was 2005. And we could not turn on our air conditioning system because it was all wrapped up. You know, it had to be serviced and unwrapped before we could start the system. So we had all the windows open. Well, we had a built-in pool with some estate fencing and uh, we had 22 adults in the house. So Mark Anthony is in his swing. He's 12 weeks. He's a baby. Uh, Cass is now six and Nicholas is uh, 14 months and he's walking and I'm putting food on the table. My uh, family is watching Nicholas and uh, I get all the food on the table and I turn around and I got the, the baby is sleeping. Mark Anthony is sleeping. Cassie's at the table. And I said, well, where's Nicholas? Hmm. And all of a sudden I have 22 adults looking at each other and no one knows where my son is. Hmm. And at that point, complete, and utter fear takes over. We have three bathrooms. So we all start looking 
and the and the bathrooms because he loved to climb in the toilet. I know it sounds like a crazy thing, but this kid loved to play in water. And um, he would climb in and he'd be having a grand old time. So we went and checked the toilets first. He wasn't in any of the bathrooms. I noticed that my French doors were open. Oh, God. And I ran outside and somebody had opened my estate fencing and put a flower pot next to it. And I start running for the pool. And um, I see him floating face down on the deep end, not moving. And I start screaming. I was in a full sprint and jumped down onto our pool cover, which was about five feet lower than where it normally would be to get him and turned him over and he was gone. Oh my God. I, uh, I scrambled over to the ladder, which is now not there and hand him to my dad. And told my dad to start CPR. And my dad had taken a CPR class before the kids were born because he watched them a lot for me. And uh, I scrambled across uh, my pool on the pool cover um, to get out. And um, I made it out of the pool. My first attempt to stand up, I like fell down. Um, my family at that point, and even myself believed I was in complete shock, but I am a trauma nurse by trade. And I, the training that I've had in the situations I've been in, allow me to be the calmest in the, in the scariest and most tragic moments is where this alternate person kind of just takes over. And, um, my family had called 911, and when the police department came that day, they didn't even bring an oxygen tank into my backyard. They declared it a drowning and had basically uh, put a roadblock up on my road not to let people come through. And then the next police car shows up. At this point, I am doing full-blown CPR on my son, whose eyes are open there's nothing. He's been in freezing cold temperatures. The paramedics show up. And uh, Mosby, if um, if you ever get to see this, Mosby was the six foot eight black paramedic that showed up to my house to take over CPR that I pushed him away and had said to him, if my son is going to remain gone, it's going to be by my hands and no one else's. And he said to me, mom, let me at least help. I'll do the bagging and you do the compressions until you can't do it anymore. And we worked on my son for over 45 minutes. Oh my God. 
Not breathing. Not breathing. He was being bagged and I was compressing him. At this time, do you really believe your son is going to live or are you doing it because you don't want to let him go? I'm doing it because I can't let go. I can't. But he's gone. He was, he was gone. He was in a systole. His heart had stopped. Um, my grandfather years ago had passed away on Holy Saturday, the day before Easter. And I really do believe with the miracle that we were given that day, that my grandfather had a lot to do with this. He never got to meet his grandson, his oh great grandson. Um, I noticed a flicker of an eye. And then after 45 minutes, mm-hmm, a flicker of an eye. And uh, then I noticed a blink and Mosby saw it and said, mama, we are going. And he scooped me and my son up and put us on a stretcher. We were taken to the hospital where he was born. Can I ask you this real quick? Uh-huh. For 45 minutes. Yes. You and Mosby. Yes. What's everyone else doing? Crying? Walking Crying. away? My dad was right there because remember, my dad had started the CPR before I could get out of that pool. Mm-hmm. And um, that hospital that we were first taken to was the hospital Nicholas was born at. And it was not a trauma center. And they were totally unprepared for us. They didn't have um, warm fluids. They didn't have warm blankets. They, they, they had nothing. So I, at that point, being mom, are now being the trauma nurse trying to lead my son's resuscitation. I called over to the emergency room at Stony Brook University Medical Center, where I worked as a trauma nurse, and they sent a trauma team to come get us. And what they told us that night, uh, and this was a very hard conversation because I work with these doctors during many, many traumas. And um, I was still on the stretcher with Nicholas at this point because I wanted him to have my warmth and to know that his mommy was there. And they told me that he had a 10% chance of survival. And if he did, he would probably be severely brain damaged and would probably have to be institutionalized. Did I want to make him a DNR? Which is a do not resuscitate. And I said, no. I said, my son is going to wake up and I want everything known to man done for him. And, uh, did you believe that when you said it? Yes. I was not going to let my son go and I was going to fight for him with every inch of my being. We found out several hours later when they tried to take their stretcher back and I needed to stand up that I had shattered both of my legs. Wow. And I never told them. So now here I am with two shattered legs. They're wanting to take me into surgery because I've blown out both ankles. 
and my son from, is in a coma. From running and jumping in the from pool? From jumping on top of that pool cover. It was equivalent to jumping out of a second story window onto concrete. So we end up in pediatric ICU. The nurses were amazing. Um, they let Cassie up and they gave him a SpongeBob SquarePants Easter basket. <laughs> I swear. Which we put in his crib. And um, Mark Anthony was home with my mom, but my dad did come up and then my mom came up. And he was on machines and it was, it was not looking good, but I was there with him. I never let go of him, not even for a second. If I had to wipe my eyes, I had my other hand there. I made them splint me in the recliner. I opted not for surgery which was against doctor's wishes, but said, if I'm not going to walk again properly, it'll be fine. You can, fix, <laughs> you can fix the legs later. And uh, that next morning, they're checking on him. I've got a nurse literally sitting in his room. There were residents checking on him, you know, checking his pupils. And um, I had my head resting on his little hand. And thought I felt a finger move. And I open my eyes and he's, he's very still. His eyes are closed. And I see another finger move. I start screaming immediately. Well, him hearing my voice, his eyes popped open like doll eyes. And I'm trying to get out of the recliner, but I can't stand so that he could see me. And I turned his head and he was still on the ventilator. He was intubated. That hand reached up and he ripped out his tube and screamed, Mama. No way. And I knew at that point that my son was was gonna live. Oh my was god! Gonna make it. Yeah. Oh my god! How you could rip out your own ventilator and he did? Well, that? he ripped out the tube. The it, it's an intubation tube that they put in the tube that you see the machines hooked up to, like you know, in all the Gray's episodes. Yep. That tube. You know, they tape it down. And he said, "Mama." And he he was, ripped out his tube. He pulled it right out, sat up, ripped out his tube, and screamed, Mama. Were you by yourself? I was by myself with uh, nurses and doctors that were in the room with me. Did they trip out? I mean, it's a miracle. Like, it there's is, no other way to describe it. It is a miracle. He is a miracle from inception. And was it a quick recovery, a slow recovery? Like uh, We actually were in the hospital a week. Um, he had a very bad pneumonia from swallowing dirty pool water. He had leaves that actually ended up getting stuck in his lungs. Holy crap. Um, he had several procedures to try to remove the debris. Um, he was actually a very sick little boy for the first year. 
We're at the hospital constantly, chronic pneumonia. Um, he couldn't eat properly. He had uh, chronic esophagitis and the worst gastro uh, esophageal reflux disease, GERD, that you could have as a baby. I mean, he was on a slew of meds. There was a point where he was going to have to have a feeding tube put in because his weight was dropping and he couldn't eat. Every time I fed him, he threw up. So I'd let him rest. I'd give him meds. I'd feed him again. Um, now, remember at that point, my legs are shattered and I'm in a wheelchair with a 12-week-old and now a, a child who has just had a terrible accident. So um, it it was a very, very tough, dark time. My only mission was for my children. I actually used to sit on a skateboard. This is actually comical because remember my legs, I had a trimalleolar fracture, three fractures on my left ankle and a bimalleolar fracture on the right. Um, and the left had had surgery years ago, and that was the one they were really more concerned about needing to be repaired. But there was no way I was leaving these kids, um, including Cassandra, who had witnessed her brother die, who was completely traumatized. Um, my husband is still traumatized. I you know, Mark probably should have had some form of therapy. He can't. He can't watch anything with a drowning. He he can't discuss what happened to Nicholas. It is something that we Dude, just don't talk about. That makes me sad. He it uh you know, it's just not anything that he can do, but um we even talked about bulldozing the pool and filling it with sand. Um, you know, we had contacted a company when we were in the hospital actually from California. The fence people, mm -hmm. that mesh fencing <clears throat> that you drill into the coping and it's that removable fence yeah. that you can put in and take out. Um, I told Mark that I would not be coming home until that fence was up, that I would go to a hotel, that I was never, ever, ever going to compromise my children. And uh, when I came home, he had paid uh, a tractor trailer driver to actually drive from Cali to New York and paid him a cash deal to get that fencing home and him and my landscapers put it up before so that I had like a state fencing. And then I had this internal fence before I came home. I mean, my house was locked up like Fort Knox after that and very upset with my family. You were very upset with your family. Yes. Because? Somebody had opened up that gate. You're oh, no. Bad question, but. Well, it, it curious, is a question a that even question. I ask myself today, because obviously somebody put that that uh, flower pot in front of the fence. So but, no one ever admitted to it. No. But they know. They know. Part of me, I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't, it's one it's of those very things you hard. don't want to think about it. Like, yeah, it's very, very hard. Very difficult. I love them all the same, but very, very difficult. And unfortunately, they have to live with that on them. 
So. So fast forward now. Fast forward now. Nikki's 17. He's going to be 17. He's 16. He looks 17. Well, the, here's the cool thing about that. You said it was 2005, but if, mm-hmm. if Mark, if Mark was, if Mark Anthony was three weeks old. Uh, 12 weeks old. He was 12 three weeks months. Old. So he's mm-hmm. three months older than Brayden. Brayden was born on Easter Sunday, 2006. So I think it was 2006 because it was on, don't we always say it was on Brayden's birthday or is yeah. Marky, how old's Marky right now? Marky's 15. So, so Brayden's 15. Mm-hmm. So it was on Braden's birthday. Yeah. April 16th. Yes. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Look at how our families tie together. Your son Sammy, was being born. Braden being born. Nikki, Your son is Nikki, reborn. My son reborn. And he does get two birthday cakes. He gets he his does. birthday cake on February the 4th. And he always gets a birthday cake on April the 16th. Come on, Eli. And look at what they've been through. And look at her. Today, do you see why we love this family so much? So good. This is the first the first phone call, Don, is what I call her. Like celebrations or challenges, which we've had our fair share in the last six years being here. Mm-hmm. First phone call, Don. Yep. They so, did. So they today, did. today, you are we didn't go too much into like any type of depression or eating or anything like that because i know you got to get to work i know you got to go but like today our kids were trick-or-treating with each other two days ago we go over your house every christmas eve mm-hmm. which by the way that's only in a couple weeks are we I on know. are we, we on are. we are okay we are full on we get some serious italian food we have a yes. clue tournament and nikki her son the rebirth he's like i'm not even joking you i'm not just saying this because don's sitting in front of me he's got this genius thing about him like he's yeah, he's smart, but there's this other thing too, to where like, even if we play a simple game like Clue, he'll know mm-hmm. the answer to Clue within like four turns. Wow. And like, he'll look at you and he'll be like, okay. And he's writing that almost like he's reading your mind. It's yeah. crazy. Well, we call him Nikki Numbers. Remember you gave him Nikki that. Nikki Numbers. He is a uh, genius with, uh, numbers and cards. Um, now, just so you know, this week we had West Point contact him for pre-admission. <laughs> we had Hopkins, John Hopkins University and Duke. Let's all three go. this week. Just he and he's got this drive. You know, he took that uh, PSAT and scored a 1390 and he was pissed. <laughs> I mean, like furious. Brain just took his PSAT and I go, what do you think you're going to get? And Brain goes, I'm just hoping for an 800. <laughs> and I go, good for you, kid. <laughs> Nikki's pissed. He almost got a 1400. Yeah. Extremely upset. I mean, he's already got like, if he goes to MTSU, cause he's thinking about becoming a radiologist, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Uh, all three of my children aspire to be doctors, which I think is great. That's awesome. Obviously, that can change. But uh, Mark, Mark Anthony wants to be a hospitalist. Nikki, a radiologist. And Cassie, Cassie forensic pathologist. Forensic so, rocket scientist. Got right. It. So, you know, my, my neighbor <laughs> happened to ask Mark, what, what is a hospitalist? And he said, well, 
you know, if you fall and break your hip, you're going to come see me. I'm going to come see you in the ER. I'm going to order some x-rays. Nick is going to do the x-rays and see if your hip is broke. And hopefully you don't got to go see my sister. They're all. See, I mean, this is like, you know, this is just how the Perones roll. They're all people persons. They are. That's, but Marky, he's the baby. He is he loves people. He wants to like Braden tells me like at school, like, dude, everybody knows Mark. Yes. Mark's like a networker, Marky. And then you got your husband, Mark Sr., who him and I are kind of in the bootleg firework business together. You know, when you <laughs> oh, see they are. when you see the Spring Hill, Tennessee light up with fireworks, uh, it's Mark running the show. But he, dude, him and I have that firework connection. And then, so like ending on a high note now, I mean, you obviously, you had some, you know, challenges emotionally, all that stuff. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to title this Iron Woman. You know, Eli, you had a suggestion, don't bet on me or don't bet against me. Maybe it's, I don't know. I usually sit with it, pray with it before we release it. I don't know what I'm going to title this, but it's going to be something along those lines. And now you've lost 160 pounds. From you my ain't heaviest. You ain't two hundred something anymore. You are no, coming no. up in here I'm, like. I'm, well, I I would still love to take off another twenty five, but who wouldn't I would. We all. Oh, do. I so would. <laughs> um, but you know, I think my body is like, listen, sis, I've already allowed this much. You know, how much more <coughs> can I give? But I don't like to sweat. I, I'm I'm a. <laughs> Uh, glistening is as far as we go. So, you know, I'm a walker though. You've seen me out walking. Uh, I do love to walk. So, um, but um, she doesn't like to sweat. She's down with breaking two legs. She's down with continuing to push forward and having children. When everyone right. tells she's down to save people's lives, but I don't want to sweat. I don't want to sweat. Does your husband. So does Mark now mm-hmm. does, you know, like, I mean, in the last year, you, you know, transformation dawn over here she mm-hmm. you know kind of went from you know looking pretty big to looking pretty looking like boo-boo's mama does he <laughs> uh, does mama? he chase you around kind of like uh he always has i will give this man perks he loved me chubby he loved me fat and he he didn't meet me looking like this matt that's the thing he met me 50 pounds heavier. Really? Yes. So he only knows the chubby mama. He doesn't know the less chubby mama. And now he does. It's like getting a whole new person. Yes. And I I do keep him on his toes. There there are times. Yeah, girl. So we always ask, so what's, what's the silver lining to all this? I mean, obviously, I'm inspired by you to just your resilience and not quit when God puts something in your heart to have kids. Yes. Because nowadays, and this is what ticks me off so much about preachers and people who preach like, well, you know, they probably would have said to you at that time, you know, well done, maybe you should probably just adopt and this isn't what God has for you. And we did look into that for a hot Which second. is great. You Which know, is it's consi- what, Terry what, and I have, yes. it's crossed our mind too, but yes. you wanted- a child and you went after it and yes. you went through hell and back and back. But look at you now, like, yes, you pushed through what would be the silver lining here. We always ask our guests to leave our audience with one either quote, a level up moment, kind of like, you know, Don Perone's final thoughts. What would you say 
to people? What would be your silver lining in all of this? Your level up moment. Take care of you. And always be a kind, loving person. I feel um, in my life that if I, I can always do better, there is always someone out there that you can help. Um, God has been very good to me, but I will tell you, I did make a deal with the devil when my son was in a coma. What does that mean? I begged. I, 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 I told basically the devil that he could have me, but make, let my son live. But yet here you are. But and here it's I been am. 15 years. Yes. Yes. You will plead anything to have your children or your family. You will do anything. And my kids are my life. Everybody knows this. Um, you know, I had Mark Anthony when I was 37, that little gift from God that he blessed me with. And, um, you know, my, my passion are my patients. Um, I do believe that I have a gift to heal and knowledge to make people comfortable um, and to want to get better. And I, I'm blessed to do God's work every day. Um, God blessed me again this year with taking a regional position for my company, which I absolutely love and adore. Um, would never want to work anywhere else. And um, I get to bless the people that I work with and our staff and our patients. And um, it's about me giving back, giving back to the community. And making our do. community better. I am so blessed to know you and you do. I mean, you know, before we knew anything about COVID before a vaccine was even on the map, I mean, we're talking about February and March and April of 2020. Mm -hmm. You never missed a day of work. You showed never. up. And this is when we thought like, we didn't know that there was a 96, 99% chance. Of survival. We, we thought we were going to freaking die. Like this is worse than Ebola. She showed up every day. She walked in there. She saw those COVID patients unconditionally and without a doubt. Actually, we did in our location, my nurses and therapists, they were frantic um, that we were going to have COVID patients. Mm -hmm. And um, Maury and Williamson got hit pretty hard. And I put myself right up on the front lines and said, I will go. I will share this burden. I will go. And more importantly, it was important for my staff to understand and to see that I would never ask them to do anything that I would not ask of myself. Wow. And everyone said to me, well, you've got kids too. And you've got a husband with a breathing issue. And I said, and God will take care of that. Let's I've got go. PPE. I know what to do. We've got patients that need us. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I love you. I you love you. One of the best people I know. I cannot wait for Christmas Eve. It's going to be great. Do you oh, love her, Eli? Mom, mom oh, is coming. Mama LaPonte is coming. Mama LaPonte oh, is coming. Nanny, That's mama. Nanny is coming. Here's what I would say to everybody listening. You don't need to look at your television. You don't need to travel around the world to find somebody special because your gold can be literally your next door neighbor.
and she is for us. Open yourself up to people. Get to know your neighbors. Talk to people. Everybody has an unbelievable testimony that can teach you something. This is my next door neighbor. I love you, Miss Dawn. I love you, Miss John. You're the best person ever. Eli, do you want to move in and be my neighbor now? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> if you liked it, you want to be my neighbor. How funny is that? My last name is Rogers. Won't you be my neighbor? Hey. <laughs> like, subscribe, and share. We ask you this all the time. Please, please, please don't click us off right now. We need you right now. Make a comment. Share this. We need comments as this thing grows. That's how the algorithm goes. So please. Give us the five-star rating. Give us a comment. It'll take you 30 seconds. But to us, it means so much more than that. With that being said, thank you so much for listening today. We appreciate you more than you know. Miss Dawn, I love you. I love you. you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Eli, for making it happen. And thank you for listening to another week of Level Up.